Hello and welcome to episode 6 of the Bible and Me podcast. In this episode, Nigel Watts speaks to Isabel Akers about her journey of faith through illness and her miraculous healing. We really hope it will bless you as much as it has blessed us. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the individuals speaking and may not represent the views of Preset Ministries UK. We hope and pray that this podcast will bless you in your walk of faith. If it does, leave us a rating or review and subscribe for more podcasts every Friday. And now, without further ado, here's the podcast. Well, I am really thrilled to welcome uh, Isabel Akers to our program today. Isabel is a Methodist minister currently serving in the way in the northeast of Scotland in a place called Peterhead. Um, she grew up and was educated near Glasgow and has served in uh, various capacities in the church in different parts of the UK, all of which I see, Isabel, seem to begin with the letter P. We've got Plymouth, we've got Portsmouth, and now we've got Peterhead. I know there have been other places in there as well. Uh, Isabel was diagnosed with MS in 1979 and was healed by the Lord six years later in 1985. We'll talk about that during the interview. She loves telling people about Jesus, so I'm already a fan of yours, and uh, you don't much like ironing. <laughs> Welcome to the Bible and Me program today. It's really a joy to have this time uh, talking with you. Isabel, how and why did you become a Christian, and why do you follow Jesus? Okay, well... I was brought up to go to church. I was brought up to go to Sunday school in the Church of Scotland. And with my my father, my my mother at that time wasn't able to leave the house. So it just was natural that Dad and I went together and I went to Sunday school. Came of age when I should have gone to the, the next stage, the youth thing. Well, I just faded out of that. And so for, um, for... Several years I didn't go anywhere near church, but I, I always believed in God. As a, as a very young child, I remember we had the great big old hamper thing that got brought out when we went on holiday, and Dad packed it, and Mum would prepare everything, Dad packed it, and I had a wee Bible, and I asked my dad if there was space in the big hamper for the Bible, and, and Dad said, are you sure? I said, oh yes, are you going to read it? Oh yes. I don't think I did, but it, somehow the Bible was important. God was always important to me, and and then I I remember going for a walk with our big Alsatian that we had at the time, and um, Raja and I were walking along the street, and, and and I got to thinking, what happens to me? What happens to me if something bad was to happen? If if I was to lose my arms and my legs, if I was to be in an accident that disfigured me, what happens to me? Because I would still be me. So what happens to me when I die? Because I'm still going to be me. There's a bit of me that's more than just my body. And, and so I, I started on a, a journey, maybe because at that point, didn't think about it, but maybe because at that point my mum was slowly dying with MS. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. But I, I started to have some very serious uh, thoughts about life. And that continued for uh, several years. I went to secondary school and made friends with a girl who was in the, the Brethren, which didn't mean a thing to me. Um, but while I was doing this search for what life was all about, it was very easy to go down all the wrong paths. And I wasn't doing it just because I was a stroppy teenager. I was doing it because I actually was wanting to find out what life was all about. And I very quickly found myself very popular with the wrong crowd. And, and yet... I still had this friend and we went to church together simply because the crowd I was with didn't do anything on a Sunday and she did. So I thought, well, I'll go where she goes. And 
I purely went to her church to have a bit of a laugh, which I did. And I talked and laughed and joked through the, the gospel services. And still the, the, the people in the Brethren Hall, who my dad had said was a sect and to be careful of, you know. But anyway, I went and they, they, they all came up and said, this, but we just love having you. And I thought they were genuine, <laughs> which they probably were. Um, and this continued for several years. And um, so I, I was living a kind of double life. But I wasn't doing it out of badness. I, was, I just wanted to know what life was about. And through that time, God protected me, although I didn't know that he was. I could have got myself into all sorts of bother. And, and would have just gone for it because everything was up for grabs. Yeah. I remember I kind of fell out, I got bored with my friend and with the church side of my life. And, and I hadn't really seen her or gone to their church for a while. And she appeared in my door with a, a birthday present for me. And... And I remember it was a horrible night and she was standing on the doorstep with this present and being Scottish, I knew that what you do is when somebody gives you a present, you always give something back. And so she was standing on the doorstep with this birthday present and as I said, thank you very much, I said, I, I seem to remember there were some special meetings that you had going on in your church. Are they still going? And she said, yes. Oh, bother. And, and then um, I said, because I'd love to come, which I didn't really mean. <laughs> but she said, oh, the, the, there's one tomorrow night or tonight or whenever it was. And I said, oh, I'd love to go along. And I think it was the next night, which was my birthday. So I, I, I went to the town hall in Renfrew again just to have a bit of fun. Because it was my birthday. I was, I was 15. I was having fun. And yes, my mum was ill, but she was okay. We weren't. It, it was just how she was. It was just normal. And so it wasn't that I was in desperate, dire straits or anything. And, and I remember that night there was a man called Headley Murphy speaking in the town hall in Renfrew. And we were just sitting in the crowd and something that he said made sense. And he wasn't preaching from the Gospels where Jesus was talking about being saved or being born again or any of that. He was speaking from Revelation chapter 22. And he was speaking from the bit that said, don't add to or take away anything from the things in this book. And as he said that, it was one of those light bulb moments because I suddenly realised that I didn't need to do as the brethren had been saying about having to be baptised with immersion before you could do anything. That's how, how I understood it. Um, I didn't need to do anything, but I could just... I could just believe if I wanted. Anyway, that, that all happened in, in, a, in, a, in just in a few moments. And it was almost in those few moments, it was as if the, the, the barrier, which I didn't know was there, or the, the veil, whatever, sort of went. And there was a space where I could believe. And... Though it sounds very strange to say it now, and it's not because it's something wonderful, but it is, because I, I'm sitting in that whole crowd of people, and, and it was as if Jesus was standing in front of me, you know, as close as you are to me sitting here at this sort of interview. And I didn't particularly see his face. I wasn't looking, but he just spoke. And he, and he held out his hands and he said, Isabel, 
now you know the truth, what are you going to do? And I remember in that moment thinking, I do know the truth. Jesus died for me. He, he actually, he, he, he paid the price. And, 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 and nothing logical or anything I had argued black was, was white with my friend from the Brethren for years. And the only questions I remembered were the ones she couldn't answer. So I would hammer him with those, hammer her with those. <laughs> but I had nothing at all to say to Jesus. Nothing at all. Except, thank you. And then being very Scottish, I remembered that when somebody gives you something, you give something back. <laughs> and I was very aware that Jesus was giving me something incredible. And just sitting in, in the, the seat in the town hall, I remember thinking or saying, nothing was actually audible, though it was as real as real could be, um, I wish I had something to give you. I haven't got anything to give you except my heart, my life. And I wish it was more, I wish it was better. And I, I thought, Jesus, that's, that's, that's all I've got to say thank you. And there I was sitting there in that town hall with not a care in the world as far as I was concerned, but suddenly realised a tremendous weight went off my shoulders. And, and I can even remember it now that I, I, I breathed and thought, oh... And then as I looked, he was gone. But it didn't matter. It really, really, really didn't matter because everything was different. Everything had changed. And I had a clue what had happened. But at the end of the, the, the meeting, I, 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 I mean, my language at that time was not good. But I do remember saying to my friend, that was really good. Do you know that? That was really, 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 yeah. That was a great night. That was lovely. Because I, I thought, I can't possibly say what's just happened because it's so weird. And I didn't say. And, and we, we, I don't even remember how we got home. Somebody must have given us a lift home. We, we got home. And, and I remember getting to the kitchen and my, my father was in the kitchen and uh, he says, oh, did you have a nice night then, dear? And I said, yes, Dad. I gave my life to Jesus tonight. Oh, did you? Oh, that's very nice, dear. I did something like that too, you know, when I was your age. But, you know, don't, don't worry, it'll, it'll pass. <laughs> and, and I remember in that moment, I never... I, it wasn't because dad was, was bad or anything, but I just never ever did speak back to my father. You just didn't, just didn't, just wouldn't. But I remember that night saying, dad, I really think you're wrong. Something's happened. Something's happened tonight. And, and I don't understand it, but something's happened. And then I ran back upstairs because I thought, I've never done that before. I don't, I never would speak back to my father in, in that sort of way. And I remember going up into my, my bedroom, I had a wee box room, and my brothers had built me a, a bookcase on the wall. And I, I thought, ah, somewhere in this, and there was a couple of drawer shelf things at the side, and I thought, this, somewhere I always seem to remember getting given a Bible from Sunday school years and years ago, and it had just been put into the the... the the case somewhere and I found this bible and it was an old old one that had you know a nice shiny picture in the front um and and inside there was lots of nice colored pictures very old-fashioned ones and I, I had no idea where to start so I just opened it and I, I started reading and and it all made sense because I'd just met the person that, that this was all about and and so when when it said, Jesus said this, that, or the other, I, I thought, yeah, yeah, well, I, I know, I know how he, he sounds. And, mm -hmm. and, and so 
that started my love of the Bible. And, and I used to read the Bible for hours and hours and hours. And, and I'd be under the cover with a torch reading the Bible, you know, when I was supposed to have my light out at night. Just because I just couldn't get enough. And I, I used to write out Bible verses and, and little texts and things and take them into school. And, and just put them in on the seats of all my friends, you know, in the tables where we were. And, right right and little evangelist. Oh, yeah, well, because people needed to know. And um, that, that was in, in, in May, May the, the, the 19th. And, and, and then I just, I just kept telling people about Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, and a few years ago... When, when I became an, an ordained Methodist minister, which was very peculiar to me, um, I remember going to a, a school and they'd asked me to take a, a lesson. And one of the, the, the students said to me, Miss, do you, do you like your job? Do you like what you do? Oh, I thought about that. And I said, you know what? It really is very good. I said, because do you know what? I told them that I'd become a Christian when I was 15. And, and since then, I've told people about Jesus ever since. And I said, you know what? I'm getting paid to do what I do anyway. I said, I'm getting paid to tell people about Jesus. So, yeah, I don't think you could get a better job. So, yeah, yeah, actually, I, I do. I do do like my job. <laughs> Fantastic. So, so there you go. It's a very, very long answer. But that's, that's where I fell in love with Jesus and that's where I fell in love with the Bible. Fantastic. What led you to go to Glasgow Bible Training Institute? My husband had already been at Bible College, and we came before. Well, when when we were still just getting out together, uh, I re- I remember thinking, I can't continue this friendship if he's not interested in being a missionary. I knew he was a Christian, so that was okay. That ticked one box. But I really thought at some point in the future I was going to go in the mission field. And um, I actually had been quite happy to be single, not to ever go out with anybody. I never, ever, ever wanted to get married. And um, God had obviously different ideas about that. And... I'd agreed to go and, and have a boyfriend. I'd really believed that God had brought us together. Um, but I couldn't continue this if he didn't have the same sort of thoughts in mind that I had. So I remember that night we were we were sitting in, uh, obviously I was living with mum and dad at the time, and we were just sitting in, in my bedroom, and, and I had decided that I was going to have to ask him if he had any thoughts about mission work at some point in the future. Little did I know that that same night, Bob had decided that he was really going to have to ask me about mission work because he didn't want to be going out with anybody and getting more serious in our our friendship if I didn't have that idea in mind. So so we both sorted that one out and we realised that we both wanted to do mission work. And so... We, we did continue together. Um, we have got married. And, and then we knew that at some point we were going to be doing full-time work for God, whatever shape that took. And pursuing that, Bob went to Bible College. We were living in Renfrew. Nearest Bible College was Glasgow. Bible Training Institute, it was called at the time. And... Um, while he was there, I thought, I, we, we had our first child by this stage, and I kind of thought, well, I could do a little course of some sort, and, and I was investigating doing some form of training, because I thought, well, if I was doing any other form of occupation, I would, I would go to university, I would do a course, I would study, I would train, and if I'm going to do God's work, then I want to go and study and train and be as equipped as I can be. I 
found myself not able to con to really pursue, as they say, doors getting closed. Doors got closed for me pursuing these few week courses that I was going to go on. And I, I realised that actually I was going to try and go to Bible college as well, because why not? And I remember going for the the interview at, at BTI, and uh, I think it was the the principal that, that interviewed me, Jeffrey Grogan, his name was, and I, I remember saying to him, "Please, please take me on merit of me, not of my husband, because by this stage I think Bob had just was just going to be finishing the Bible college as I was wanting to go." And, and I said, because I know that, that he's been a, a superb student, and, and he is, he's, he's much more the, the theologian than I. And uh, I said, but I just feel that I need training as well as we want to go in together into whatever God has in, in plan for us. So that was my, my, it was only a year when I went to BTI, but again, in that year I crammed in almost a two-year course in the year to try and cram in as much as I could mm. because by that stage our daughter was just beginning to be aware that mum wasn't around and and I wasn't going to be able to do more than the year mm. at that stage. Now you went first to Plymouth and, and um, then from 1978 to the year 2000 to Portsmouth. Mm. Um, and during that time you got if that's the correct term, MS. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And sometime later, God healed you from mm -hmm. MS. Could you talk a little bit about that experience and where, where was God through that and in that? Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, you know, there may be people listening to this podcast who have MS or know others who have MS. What was that experience like for you? Mm. Okay, right. Well, Bob and I, just to continue, Bob and I did various avenues of service. We tried, and then again, a door f flew wide open to have us join the work of the Royal Sailors' Rest Dame, Agnes Weston's Royal Sailors' Rest, which we'd never heard of, but it was it was the, the way that God led, and, and so we ended up in Plymouth for a year and did our training for that. And then we were given a centre of our own. So there was just Bob and I in this big centre in Portsmouth. Uh, while we'd been in Plymouth, we had our second child. And uh, then there was just Bob and I, uh, a baby and uh, a four-year-old in this big centre in, in Portsmouth that I say that we, we ran together. Looking back, I can see that I, I had for a long time had symptoms of MS, but I had ignored it because, well, because you can. And I tried to compensate for weaknesses and things that happened and things when I would stumble or fall and, and just compensate for it as that was just how I was. But while we were in Portsmouth, things became much more difficult to compensate for and to, to hide. Little did I know that while we were still just going out together, uh, we'd, we'd obviously, we got more serious and we knew that, that, that this, was, this was a relationship that we wanted to continue. Bob had prayed about going out with someone that, and that it would be the serious and it would the next person he went out with would be the person he wanted to marry. We'd done the whole missionary bit, so we knew that we were compatible that way. And there was on one occasion when uh, Bob had, had gone home after we'd, we'd spent time together, and, and he said that he, he was in prayer, and, and, and God said to him, now, this was years before anything was ever medically discovered, before we got married. And he said in prayer, God said, Isabel's got MS. 
are you still willing to, to marry her? At this stage, my mum had MS at quite an advanced stage. She was permanently bedridden. She was doubly incontinent. She had to be lifted and laid. She had to be fed. She was living in morphine. Um, so Bob was well aware what MS could do. So it was not a, a, a light thing for him to then say, yes, yes, I'm going to go through with this. So for years, Bob had been watching me fall. For years, Bob had been watching things happen and just wondered when it would become full-blown. And when we were in Portsmouth, uh, that's when it did become more obvious. Uh, I remember getting what seemed like sinusitis, but with the sinusitis, I got the whole of one side kind of went not quite right, almost like a mini stroke. And then, then that kind of got better. But there was all sorts of things were starting to happen. Then I, I suspected, or I would never admit it, that I had MS. And um, we, we tried to hide the, the symptoms from everybody. And we just carried on as best as we could until it got so that it, it really was, was, was impossible. I, I remember we, we ended up, I, I fell pregnant with our third child. And, and at that stage, Bob had gone to the, the doctor with, he had some minor something or other. And, and our doctor said, I am so pleased to see you, Mr. Akers. I am so concerned about your wife. I need to talk to you about your wife. I really think your wife has got MS. And Bob came out to the car and uh, he told me what the doctor had said. And I remember being so angry at this being confirmed. We suspected it. We knew it, really, in our heart of hearts. There was a whole diet programme that I'd got from my mum that we were never able to actually implement because she died before that was able to happen. But I had all the books and I had all the knowledge and I had actually been using the diet to try and alleviate some of the symptoms, although we didn't officially know what it was. And so she, she said, I am so concerned that your wife has fallen pregnant again because she should never ever, ever have fallen pregnant because this is likely to accelerate the illness. But nobody had ever officially said, because so, we hadn't ever, ever gone to get any, any uh, tests or anything done. We just were carrying on as best we could. And then followed a whole series of tests down in Southampton. And I, I remember going to Southampton in the bus and going in to see the the consultant and there was two or three of them in the room and he sat at one corner and I was at the opposite corner and he said, well, Mrs. Akers, we're very glad to say that we now know what's wrong with you and, um, you know, and so that being the case, you know, we'll, we will be able to do things and uh, you know and he talked a bit longer he said this you've got a disease that's attacking the nerves in your brain but you know now that we know what it is we will be able to do something about it and so with that I'd like to discharge you and I remember thinking in fact I didn't just sit there and think I, I, I said what do you mean you're discharging me and he said well you will be back and we'll know what to do. So I said, so what do I do when things get worse? If things get worse, he said, you'll be back. And with that, they discharged me. And I, I remember going to the, the desk and the lady, the receptionist, who 
had obviously known that I'd been there for several tests and she'd seen me often. I said, oh, Mrs. Akers, I am so delighted for you, you know, that you've been discharged. Oh, well, I want to wish you all the best. And I managed to hold it together and I got on the bus and got back to Portsmouth and I got into the centre that we ran and I, I got in the, the front door. I just made it across the the, the living room area where we had the, like a cafeteria and I, I got to my husband and he said, oh, how did it go? And then I burst into tears. Because the, the medical uh, science no longer had anything to offer except I knew fine well what they were offering. There was going to be a nursing home at some point in the future and and there wasn't a positive outcome to be had. I have no idea what MS is like. Having said that, I do have a very good friend who does have MS and he's now in a wheelchair and I see some of the symptoms of that. Um, what I'd like to do is to fast forward. Mm. Um, what did God do? Um, what did you see God do? Okay. For the next few years, God helped in as much as I, I, I was unable to take care of my, my baby. Um, I couldn't carry him much. I couldn't, I couldn't. What started happening, I, I lost the use of my arms. I had already been losing the use of my legs. I, I used my, my older children as, as walking sticks because I couldn't hold a stick. Um, I couldn't feed myself properly because I couldn't hold a knife and fork. My speech was going, my eyesight was going. Mm. Um, what did I see? God was working in, in the, the love and support of the sailors and the wrens that came about the centre. And, and then... I had this sort of MS where you you would have a really bad spell where it would be very, 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 very bad. Then I would recover a little, but never to be as good as I was before the bad spell. And so it was always a downward progress. Um, it was very painful. There was a whole mixture of numbness and yet a lot of pain because the nerves were all being damaged. And... Um, in May, around about Easter in, in 1985, I, I had a very, very bad bout and didn't recover much. And I knew that was the beginning of the end, that this was, this was, this was bad. And it's not where I am now. God has healed me in all sorts of ways you know, spiritually, physically, emotionally, mentally, all sorts. Um, but at that stage, I, I started planning my suicide because I knew exactly where it was going. And, and I didn't want that for my husband. I didn't want that for my children. Mm. I didn't want them to have to cope with how I knew things were going to go. And um, as I was planning this... Bob knows me so well, he knew that I would be doing something like that. And I knew I, I had quite a small window of opportunity because from the, the tests and things in, in Southampton, obviously things had been sent to my doctor, although I'd never been back. I remember phoning the doctor just because I thought, well, now it's on my record. I wonder if I could actually learn to drive um, because I thought I'll need mobility. If, if I get less and less able. And when I phoned the doctor, she had said, you can't drive. And I said, no, I can't drive at all. And she said, well, go for it. She says, I think you've got about a year left where you would be able to. Um, and so that I'd been given a time scale. Uh, un unknowingly, she'd given me a time scale. And then with the MS getting so much worse, um, I, I planned how to to stop it before it got to that stage. 
Bob was obviously aware of how I would think, and he was busy praying. And he actually was thinking, God, I can't run this this busy centre. We had over 100 sailors coming in every day, and, and it was a busy, busy, busy centre that we ran in Portsmouth. It, it had a cafe, it had squash courts, badminton courts, it had a colour white dark room, we had a quiet room upstairs, we had a multi-gym weights area, we we had um, ready control cars, we, 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 whatever, whatever guys were interested in, we did, we had computers, we, uh, everything, and, and we had parents, mums and children would come when their husbands were away, so we, we were developing into that area of ministry as well, lots and lots and lots and lots of things happening. And and he was praying and saying, God, I can't I can't do this without a wife and I can't do it looking after Isabel and looking after three children. I can't do this anymore. So, you know, I know that Isabel's not going to be around much longer. I know that that's going to happen. And 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 I just pray that you know, I, I'll get a new wife. So he was praying along that way. And then as he was praying that way, he thought, actually, I don't want a new wife. And so he came to the point of saying, I just want you to heal her. So, so then he started praying very seriously that, that God would heal me. And I knew nothing of this, but apparently people all over the world, because of our connection with the Royal Navy and and sailors coming in from all over the world and being in the dockyard in, in Portsmouth. It, it was taken to everywhere that people were fasting and praying for a whole day, every week, that I would be healed. <laughs> I had no idea. And um, that went on for at least a solid year, however longer, I don't know. But I know at least of a year of it. Because I thought they were praying for new premises in Portsmouth. I didn't. Because obviously I knew that all these guys were coming in and the rains and they weren't eating on 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 the Tuesday every week. And I kind of joined it a bit. I couldn't do it very much because I, I, I wasn't very well at all. But um, little did I know that they were all doing that for my healing. Beseeching God. And We'd gone up to to Paisley where Bob had gone to Sunday school as a young boy and his old Sunday school teacher, who was very elderly by that stage, called him over at one point to say, how are you? And how are you, Robert? Because that's how she knew him as a little boy. And she sat him down and she talked with him. And she said to him, I am going to tell you that my... My friends and I will commit to praying for healing for your wife and for the Holy Spirit to fill you and change everything that's happening with, with you and with your wife. And so she and her friends committed themselves to pray, which I'm sure that they did. So there was people. And I remember Bob saying to me that there was going to be a lady coming to the Methodist Central Hall in Portsmouth and, and she had a healing ministry and would I like to go along? By this stage I was planning another way of healing and, and I had become quite hard. I had become quite cynical and I still believed in Jesus. I still was working as the... Uh, Bob was a missionary in charge and I was the assistant missioner in, in Portsmouth, although I was doing very little. Um, and I said, well, you know, we'll see how I am. Because I never knew from day to day. I, I crawled from the bed to the bathroom. I, I got downstairs on my bottom. Some days I couldn't go from, we lived above the centre that we ran, it was a three story and uh, uh, sometimes that was as far as I ever got um, and uh, you see how I am that, that, was, that was it come Friday, surprisingly to me, I was well it was a good day, it was a good day and and I was, I was able to walk a little bit uh, by this stage I already had 
disabled stickers in the car. Um, I, I, I couldn't I couldn't go anywhere. I couldn't do very much um, with the children or anything. And um, on Friday, Bob said some of the sailors were going to come. I said, that's fine. I'll take the, the, the disabled sticker and I'll, I'll be able to drive. I'm, I'm okay. I can drive. So I drove to very close to where the, the, the door was. With the, the aid of the sailors, I, I got to the, 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 the church and um, they said, I'm sorry, it was really full downstairs. You're going to have to go up the stairs. And I remember looking at the stairs and thinking, no way. Mm. But with the sailor's help, I got up and we, we were there. And they were all, you know, and of course they were. Uh, I wasn't. And, and uh, the, the lady started speaking and, and it, it was, it was a, a very interesting night. There was, some of the sailors went down for recommitment of their lives. Some of them went down for the uh, salvation and and there was there was people all sorts of people getting called forward at the end for healing and one of the young sailors stayed beside me while the rest of them had gone and he said Isabel don't you think you should go forward and in my not good frame of mind I remember feeling quite insulted that this young man this young upstart who hadn't long been a Christian should try to <laughs> advise me and and I remember turning around to him and saying I do believe God heals but I will know as and when it that he wants me and I, I was I was actually incredibly rude to that poor boy and uh, quite ashamed of how I behaved in those years in the end we waited for a while and and the others had gone down the stairs were not coming back. And I thought, I'm going to have to get downstairs somehow. And um, so what I decided to do was go down the, the, the front of the church because I could kind of slide down and, and it, it wouldn't be quite so noticeable, I thought. So I managed to get myself down uh, from where we were sitting down the front and sat in one of the front seats uh, to recover from the effort of it all. And there was a, a lady praying with, with other folks. And this wasn't the, the, the missionary or the evangelist or whoever she was. It was her aunt, a nice little old lady. And and I went over to the aunt. I managed to get up. I'd recovered enough and I managed to get over when she'd finished praying with people. And said, excuse me, I wonder if you would pray for me. And she said, yes, of course. I said, I've got MS, but I don't want you to pray about the MS. I would just ask if you would pray that I could cope with it. I just, I, I don't like how I've become. I don't like that I am constantly thinking of me. And I just, I just need peace. And I just need to be able to cope. And, and this dear lady looked at me. And said, well, my dear, whatever makes you think that Jesus wants you to have MS? Oh, I thought, this is not what I want. I thought, we're going to end up in this battle about God and suffering. And So I stood there and for a while, this not a nice, me being not a nice person at all, argued with this lady about how Christians actually do become ill, you know. And Christians do die, actually. And and I was so rude and so unpleasant. And the the lady did say, my dear, did, did you hear the call for coming forward for, you know, baptism in the Spirit? And I said, yes, I did. But I was baptised in the Spirit when I was 15. When I gave my life to Jesus, then the Holy Spirit came into my life. And and basically, I don't need to know anymore. Mm. And we, we talked for a bit, argued for a bit longer. And then she said, because I was, I was getting weak by this time. And she said, 
would you still like me to pray for you? I thought, yes, I would. Because basically, I think we still agree the same thing. And she said, well, all I want you to do is to just stand there and tell Jesus how much you love him. I thought, that's great. I can do that. And so I stood there and just told Jesus how much I love him. And she stood at my side and she started by saying things about this dear sister who has so many problems and who is so mixed up. And and she was saying a lot of things that I could easily have argued with again. And then I was so glad she started speaking in tongues because I couldn't understand a word. And that was great. And I could just set myself to stand in there and praying uh, and just saying, Jesus, thank you, I love you. And you know I love you. And I know that I've been getting things all mixed up, and but I, I do love you, Jesus. And she continued to pray. And then I began to feel a bit strange. And I thought, there's no way that I am going to be like these other people around about here and, and, and fall because if I had known anything like this was going to happen, I would have worn trousers. And I'm standing here and I am wearing a skirt. And the sailors are there. And there's lots of other people there. So I said, I am not, I am not collapsing here in front of all these people. As you can tell, I wasn't in a very good spiritual state of mind. And God could have just dealt with me there and then in some way or other. But he didn't. He very gently let me collapse to the floor. Very gently. It was as if my legs just became like water. And, and I just sat and then kind of laid down a wee bit. Um, she had her arm around my shoulders and continued to be with me. And, and she continued to pray and that was fine. And then she finished praying and I said thank you. And she said, well, don't expect to be healed all at once. And I wanted to snap back and say, well, I didn't expect to be healed. But before I could do it, I thought, actually, I asked for peace. I'm feeling awful lot more peaceful, actually. I thought, oh, that's good. There was a reporter going round at the time, and he was interviewing people who had got up out of wheelchairs and people had thrown their walking sticks away. Well, I couldn't even hardly get up off the floor. So he didn't come and interview me because I hadn't obviously been healed. Um, the, the, the sailors helped me and I got from the floor out to the car. I can't remember how, but I got out to the car. And I remember taking the, the disabled sticker off and putting it in the glove compartment in a very... A very positive way thinking I don't need that anymore which was a very strange thing because I'd only ask for peace and we got home and my husband was obviously keen to know what happened and and I said oh so and so recommitted his life and so and so went down and got saved and so and so and he says yeah what about you mm, I don't know I don't know I'm tired and I went upstairs and, and I started trying to read all that I could find in the Bible about healing. And, uh, but I was tired, so I went to bed. And then the next morning I woke up and I remembered the lady saying, when you wake up in the morning, just say, thank you, Jesus, that I'm better today than I was the day before. So I did that and got out of bed and crawled. I wasn't any better. But I was at peace about it. I was at peace. Uh, I wasn't any better. Bob, if I didn't wear clothes that I'd thought about, Bob would have had to help me to get dressed and things. So, you know, I'd, I'd learned what clothes I could wear. So I got dressed, went downstairs. And um, Bob came and said, Isabel, we're, we're redesigning the kitchen downstairs, which I knew about, um, in the centre. And he said, do you want to come out? And we'll see if we can get like, just some ideas. And I said, well, why am I so tired today? so so tired and he said oh, please just come you know you know the car's at the door please see if you can come so I, I, we managed to get me out to the car and I was in the passenger seat and we drove to a place called MFI it's closed down now but it was MFI and we got there and, and I just wanted to stay in the car I, I was just so weak and, and Bob said please come just 
come, there'll be a seat or something that you could sit in at the door. Please try and come. And I did, and I managed to get from the car to the, the and, and there was no way I could go any further. No way at all. And so he said, okay, you just stay there. And, and I'll go and scoot on and see if there's anything, and, and then we'll just go home. You, you know, you're obviously not, not well. And um, I, I, I remember just balancing myself, propping myself up against some, some barriers that were just at the, the entrance to the shop, really. Uh, it was as far as I could go. And um, as I was, I was propped there, I remember thinking about the night before and, and thinking... I really don't know what happened last night. And and that lady was just using Isaiah 53. By by his stripes we are healed. And I, I remember going through all things and thinking lots. And, and, and saying, God, if, if what that lady was saying last night is true. If it is really true that when you died on the cross, it wasn't just for our salvation but for our ever-present healing. And I want it, and I want it now. And and it was a, a prayer that I I didn't have any qualms about. I didn't think, oh, I don't deserve it. I didn't think it's impossible. I didn't think, you know, the, there's nothing like this can ever happen. My mum had it. I prayed for her. She died. Uh, you know, I, didn't, I didn't go through all that at all. I just remember saying, if that was true. I want it and I want it now. And I remember being there and having that really weird feeling in my legs again and thinking, that's different. And my legs didn't feel all weak and wobbly and weird. They felt strong. And while I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about it, I thought, well, I don't believe that. I think, wow. And and my my first thought was, I don't believe that. And then I remember the lady before last night. She'd said she'd been praying for somebody who had a huge big goiter in her neck. And as the goiter had been going down under her hand, she'd thought, oh, I don't believe that. And it started to grow again. So I said, no, no, sorry, sorry, Father, I do believe. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, I just got to that point when Bob came back and said, How are you doing? fine and have you seen anything and and uh, again I'm quite ashamed to say it was lying through my teeth and I said yes I have seen something it's over there and and uh, I, I and I need to show you and so I let go of this thing that I'd been clinging on to and I let go of it and I walked I thought right I'm claiming this and I walked in front of Bob and I just walked and and what Bob's face must have been like I, I can only imagine and he came up to me and he said, what's happened to you? I said, I don't know, but I think I've been healed. And that was the beginning. And so from then on, it has been progressive. There was a physical healing that, just as that lady said, it was progressive, it was slow, it was progressive. And for the next two years, there was a lot of spiritual healing had to happen. There was a lot of deliverance ministry had to happen because there was a lot of things that I had allowed to come into my life that had maybe made me very susceptible to illness. I had given the devil an awful lot more hold in my life than I'd ever seemingly allowed the Lord to have. And and so that's it. And 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 here I am today. The, the healing was reaffirmed, reconfirmed in 1993 when I had been badly beaten by a burglar who had come into a nursing home where I worked and, and had seriously damaged my, 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 my head and my spine. And, uh, and there was a lot of swelling, a lot of bruising, which resulted in me not being able to walk again and, and, and things like that. And it, it was thought that the MS, if it hadn't come back 
because they, they said, you know, you don't have a remission for that length of time. Um, and the, the, the dear consultant that I saw said he believed in healing, but he'd never seen anybody healed from MS. So he was going to do further tests just to confirm that I didn't have it ever, but that I did have it now. So he did tests in 1993, further ones to what I'd had in Southampton. And uh, I had a, a letter from him personally uh, in which he wrote, there are, there's no new um, or current illness present in your body, but the scans and things that he did did show up the scars of previous MS. So I did have MS. I have the scars in my body that prove that I had MS. I do not have it any longer. Why does that remind me of Jesus? <laughs> you know, just listening to your amazing journey and story there, and we could talk for another five hours, I'm sure, about um, many other things that have happened in your life, but I'm, I'm probably going to draw it to a close um, shortly. Um, I'm going to ask you in a minute your favourite verse. Um, I, I just detect you are someone who has walked very closely with the Lord and you have a compassion for others who have gone through suffering. And um, just from speaking to people, uh, we're here in Peterhead, you know, we did some training last night, we're going to do some more t tomorrow night, and just hearing what people have to say about you. And, um, and I know you were ill, um, very ill this time last year, uh, with pneumonia and others very seriously ill, and how the church gathered around to pray and mm. fast for you. Um, I just think that God, God has obviously marked you out for this journey of which you have walked. And uh, you have everything that you have explained in terms of your emotion and the way in which you've, you know, you, you, you said you became angry and you were saying things you didn't want to say. I'm sure that's just such a human reaction. I'm sure any of us would have done the same. But God, God, has done an amazing thing in you and through you. And when we met at Refuel Conference, you know, I just loved your heart and, and just the way that you're so open about Jesus. And, you know, you, you're, uh, you're someone who walks with Jesus. And I just think that's so precious. Um, as I said, I would love to speak for hours about all sorts of other things that I've got down here. But I'm conscious, I'm conscious a little bit at the time. Now, I know, you love, I know you love the word of God. I know you love the Lord. And I know that you would want to say to people listening to this that to, to encourage them to do the same. Um, what is your favourite Bible verse and why is it your favourite Bible verse? You can't say a favourite Bible verse. Uh, there's a different one that's appropriate for each and every situation, so there isn't any favourite one. Um, but in this last year, when I didn't realise how poorly I was, the, the pneumonia developed into sepsis and there was all sorts of things happened. And uh, again, it was because of the body of Christ coming together and praying. We're, we're, we're in it together. We've got to always be in it together. And, of course, in it together with him. And so this year, the, the verse that's probably come more often back to me this year has been... Um, the Lord say, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace, my grace, my love in action is sufficient for you because my strength is made perfect in weakness. And in this year, I've had an awful lot of weakness, um, but there's been such a lot of blessing. And God has over and over and over and over again proved the truth of that verse. So wherever we are in the, the weakness of our human frailty, Jesus said in this world you'll have tribulation, you'll have trouble, but take heart because I've overcome the world. And wherever we are in our, our daily life, God says, my grace is sufficient for you today. My grace is sufficient for you because my strength's made perfect in whatever weakness you may have this day. Isabel, 
it has been an absolute privilege to hear your story. And I pray that as people listen to it, they would be blessed, they would be encouraged, they would be motivated to continue and to persevere in their own journey of faith for whatever God has marked out for them. Thank you so much. My pleasure. You have been listening to The Bible and Me podcast by Preset Ministries UK. If you enjoyed this episode, please click the subscribe button now and consider leaving us a rating or review. If you'd like to learn more about the ministry or make a donation, visit www.precept.org.uk or follow us on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube at Preset Min UK.